We Christians have a way of emphasizing some sins more than others. When I was a young boy growing up in the church, smoking and drinking were frowned upon strongly, and perhaps rightly so. But I never heard a sermon about gluttony, which centuries ago Pope Gregory included on his list of seven deadly sins. So what is gluttony, and why is it considered a vicious vice? The dictionary defines gluttony as excessive eating and drinking. That definition fits well with how the Bible discusses gluttony, often associating it with drunkenness in a profligate lifestyle. Proverbs says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. You may think of gluttony as being addicted to eating too much, but there's far more to it than that. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by for today's Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. And the Bible has plenty to say about gluttony. And when it does, it always includes words of caution about drunkenness. The word gluttony not only means excessive eating, but excessive drinking. Ron digs into the subject of gluttony today as he continues his teaching series, Undefeated, Overcoming the Deadly Sins That Drag You Down. To listen anywhere on demand, visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And stick around after today's message when Ron joins me to talk about an important new resource he wants to share with you. But first, listen as he shares his message, Defeating Gluttony. Well, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we uh, sometimes have a way of emphasizing some sins more than others. I learned this uh, the first time as a young boy growing up in Indiana, uh, growing up in the church, and uh, I often heard um, instruction and admonitions about uh, smoking and drinking. You know, those things were things that we weren't supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, regarding smoking, this was long before um, we as a culture kind of figured out that smoking was really, really bad for your health. But you heard it in the church. You shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't inhale that smoke into your body because your body is, well, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, uh, drinkers were always warned about the, the dangers of alcoholism, and rightly so. Rightly so about both of those uh, practices, smoking and drinking. Not to be legalistic about it, but there were, there were reasons why uh, followers of Jesus should not practice such things. But I never once heard a, a sermon about gluttony. <laughs> I wonder why. I heard a lot of jokes about gluttony. I heard people in the church and even the pastor from time to time joking about how, you know, yeah, we just can't wait to have the next potluck. You know, we, we love our potlucks. And we called it fellowshipping with one another, when in reality we just, you know, feasted and gorged ourselves with food. I heard jokes about how the Baptists get to those Sunday uh, lunch spots quicker than the Methodists and the Presbyterians, you know, and we, we just made fun of that. We, we, we joked about that. But we've been in this series of messages titled uh, Undefeated. We're talking about the seven deadly sins, a list of sins that... Uh, came forth back in the 6th century. Pope Gregory I uh, came up with these, this list, pride, anger, lust, laziness, 
Now we're on to gluttony, envy, and greed. And um, the one that we're talking about today, gluttony, is, is probably the one that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would rather not talk about it. Because the truth of the matter is, and let's just be honest, we're in church today, right? Most Americans, and yes, even church-going Americans, are overweight. But I want to set your mind and your heart at ease today, because if you're thinking that, oh, this is one of those sermons that's going to shame me because I'm overweight, no, that's not where we're going this morning. In fact, it would be wrong, it would be overly simplistic to say that if somebody is overweight, they're a glutton. Um, likewise, it would be overly simplistic to say that if a person uh, easily slides into his or, his or her skinny jeans, they don't have a problem with this sin. No, the truth of the matter is, and we all know this, some people, because of their physiology, can just look at a plate of food and gain three pounds. Amen? Come on. You know that's true. Other people, they can eat three Big Macs in one day and lose weight because they're blessed with a metabolism that just, you know, spins it up. So we're not here to, to shame people because they're overweight or because of obesity. It would be wrong. It would be simplistic to do that. But what we do want to talk about is uh, what gluttony is. Why does the Bible even mention it? What does it mean when it does? And why would uh, gluttony end up on this age-old list known as the seven deadly sins? Is there something about it that perhaps we don't know? Let's start with a definition, a dictionary definition of what is gluttony. And you might guess that this is the definition, that gluttony is excessive eating or drinking. And yes, the Bible uh, kind of falls in line with that definition in terms of what gluttony is, but the Bible takes it a step further. The Bible always associates gluttony with drunkenness and a reckless, riotous, rebellious kind of partying lifestyle. So the Bible takes it that, that much further. Let me give you some examples. Deuteronomy chapter 21, we step inside the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law uh, gives some instruction to parents who might have a rebellious child who's living a life of debauchery, a profligate life. And in Deuteronomy 21, it says to bring that child out into the public square and let the leaders of the uh, community deal with him. You're to say, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. All right? That's one of the first references to gluttony in the Bible associated with this Reckless, riotous, drunken kind of life. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Those are wise words uh, and warnings from the pages of Scripture. One more from Proverbs, chapter 28 and verse 7. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Here, gluttony and the lifestyle associated with it bring shame upon the son and shame to the family. Think of a student who goes away to college and spends the next four years just go, you know, traveling from one party to the next and uh, just, just lives the gluttonous, drunken, you know, profligate life there. Or think of the prodigal son that Jesus talked about in the story in Luke chapter 15, who, who demanded his father's inheritance, 
ran off and lived a reckless life, the Bible says, and spent all of his money in just riotous and reckless and rebellious living. Or think of the time that the Pharisees, the arch enemies of Jesus, insulted Jesus by calling him a glutton and a drunkard. Can you imagine that? You ever thought of Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard? But they called him that. They insulted him that. Why? Because he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they just assumed by association he was a glutton and a drunkard. Back then, it was an insult to call somebody such things. And so gluttony in the Bible was considered a deadly sin, and it was considered this, you know, back in the sixth century, not so much because of its association with obesity as much as it was its association with the three R's. And no, I'm not talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic. I'm talking about rioting, recklessness, and rebellion. That's the gluttony that the, uh, the Bible warns about. Now, gluttony also has a long, long history as um, sort of an indication of someone's moral laxity. Uh, the glutton and the drunkard was just morally a, a reprobate. According to Seneca the Younger, a Roman philosopher, he said if men ate and drank more than what they needed for their basic sustenance, they were indulging their vices, not their virtues. That's not the Bible speaking. That was a Roman philosopher uh, about 2,000 years ago. And Seneca reserved particular criticism for those who spent their fortunes on exotic dishes. He said, they vomit so they can eat, and they eat so they can vomit. They don't even consider the dishes which they have assembled from across the earth worthy of digestion. And this Roman philosopher named Seneca was referring to um, something you, 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 know, you can find in the history books about uh, the Romans, the elite Romans, and their, their wasteful, indulgent lifestyles. And, and the hedonistic banquets that they would attend and the vomitoriums that were next to them. They, they would go to these banquets and they would lavish themselves and indulge themselves with this eating. And they would go over to the vomitorium, vomit it up, and then go back and just eat more. And then vomit it up and go back and eat more. This is what Seneca the younger, this Roman philosopher was referring to. Now, there's some debate in history among the historians as to whether the vomitoriums were myth or not. And, and some say that uh, the vomitorium was actually a reference to, uh, actually a vomitoria was the word. It was a passage beneath a tier of seats in a performing arts theater through which crowds could disgorge rapidly. So there's some debate in the literature out there about the... Uh, uh, reality or the mythology of these Roman vomitoriums. But, but this young Roman philosopher named Seneca had obviously seen some very self-indulgent Romans, elite Romans who could afford the very expensive and lavish foods uh, participating in this way. Let's move from the Romans to the Greeks. And um, there was a Greek philosopher named Epicurus who denied the existence of God, and because he believed that life had no real meaning and no real purpose, he came up with this famous saying, you can probably quote it, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That was Epicurus. And in Acts chapter 17, you might remember that the apostle Paul on Mars Hill confronted both the Epicureans and another group 
known as the Stoics. He confronted them with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They laughed at Paul. They mocked him as a, as a babbler that just had some kind of newfangled teaching out there. But Paul kept giving them the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, check out Something Good Courses, where you'll find Starting Point, a Disciples First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. That starting point, a disciple's first steps, where you'll discover what being a disciple of Christ is all about and learn how to help others grow in their faith. Like all the other seven deadly sins, gluttony is what is called a gateway sin. Anger is a gateway to murder. Lust, a gateway to adultery. To what does gluttony lead? Find out next in the second half of today's Something Good radio message, Defeating Gluttony. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Different than the Epicureans, the Stoics were more dutiful and reserved about life. They only ate when they were hungry. The Romans indulged themselves, vomited it out, and then indulged themselves for more. But the, but the Greeks and the Stoics, a little bit more reserved. We only eat when we're hungry. And then there were two other groups uh, known as the Cynics and the Ascetics. Uh, they both took their reservations even further by only eating what was necessary uh, to live. They didn't necessarily eat when they were hungry, but you know, ate, ate when you know, it was necessary to, to kind of keep the body functioning. The cynics believed that the body was evil and must be restrained. The Gnostics believed that as well, and Gnosticism was one of the early church heresies that kind of floated into the church in the second and third centuries. Uh, asceticism was a lifestyle characterized by the abstinence from pleasure. And so you can imagine that uh, monasticism, which rose out of early Christian asceticism, adopted this idea. Uh, the man monastic orders did not believe that the Bible, or rather that the body was evil, but the monastic orders did believe the body needed restraint. Now, why am I going to all this ancient history here? Because Pope Gregory, back in the 6th century, came from this tradition. He came from the monastic tradition, making it no surprise that he included gluttony as one of the top seven gateway sins. And that's really what we're talking about in this series, Undefeated, overcoming the deadly sins that drag you down. Because every one of these seven, pride, anger, lust, laziness, gluttony in the weeks to come, envy and greed, they're, they're called gateway sins. Anger is a gateway to murder. Lust is a gateway to adultery. Gluttony is a gateway to a riotous, reckless, rebellion lifestyle. And if you can't get control of your appetites, if you're constantly indulging your appetites, never restraining your appetites, even as it relates to your belly, maybe you, you've lost control in some other areas of life as well. Well, so much for the, the history of it all and understanding what we're talking about this morning. The real question is, how do we overcome it? How do we defeat gluttony? If gluttony is first and foremost about eating excessive amounts of food, and that's, that's the definition we'll stick with this morning, 
then I believe the first way to defeat gluttony is by practicing fasting. <laughs> now, there, there are two words that we don't talk about very often, gluttony being one. When, did, when was the last time you heard a sermon about that? And fasting, let alone in the same sermon. But I believe the first way to deal with this, this overindulgence we call gluttony, the excessive eating of food, is by practicing something as strange-sounding in our 21st century culture as fasting. By definition, biblical fasting is the abstinence of food for a period of time and for a spiritual purpose. Let me say it again. Biblical fasting is, is the abstinence of food. It's saying no to food for a period of time, but for a spiritual purpose. And I emphasize for a spiritual purpose. I emphasize that because today one of the hot new fads in dieting is something called intermittent fasting. Have you seen that? Uh, the dieting world has figured out that uh, you might be able to lose some weight with some periodic or intermittent fasting. It might even be good for your body physiologically, and that's certainly true. But that's not why fasting is a spiritual discipline that we must pursue in the Christian life. Keep in mind that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about prayer and giving and fasting, he didn't say, if you pray and if you give and if you fast. He says, no, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast, and he gave some instructions on how to do each of those. I call those the three pillars of piety in Jewish life. And uh, there was an expectation that came from Jesus. And the expectation in the early Jewish community and in the early Christian church that you practiced at least these disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting. But fasting in a biblical way helps us, um, helps us with some things. It helps us draw closer to God, okay? It also helps discipline our desires. It forces us to say no to the cravings of our stomach in our belly, uh, rather than giving in and indulging those cravings at every moment, fasting, you know, puts the brakes on and says no. Now, uh, why is this such an important spiritual discipline, the discipline of fasting? And what does it have to do with gluttony? Well, in two of Paul's New Testament letters, Paul says that some people, listen to this carefully, some people have made a God out of their belly. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul goes on to say, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, every once in a while you read the Bible and you go, wow, those are some strong words. That has some holy starch in it. That Paul would say there are some people out there who he calls enemies of the cross. They're not followers of Jesus Christ. They see the cross of Christ as foolishness. The end of their way, he says, is destruction. And not only that, but these are the kinds of people who have made a God out of their belly. They're constantly indulging every desire that comes along at the moment that it comes. And when the, the stomach says, I'm hungry, they feed it. 
there, there's, no, there's no restraint. There's no um, times or seasons of, of fasting in them. Another place, Romans chapter 16, Paul alludes to the same thing. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. He says, avoid them. Now, we can stop right there. Again, a pretty starchy section of Scripture there. He says, there are some in the church, they've caused divisions. They're dividers, not uniters. He says, stay away from them. Avoid people like that. Then he goes on to say, for such persons do not serve Christ our Lord, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I, I take these two uh, sections from Paul's writings to two different, two different letters, one to the Philippians, the other to the Romans. And it seems that Paul is suggesting this. Gluttony, the excessive eating without any restraint, could lead to idolatry. The making of your belly into a god. Gluttony is far more than a problem with excessive eating. It's a gateway to rioting, recklessness, and rebellion. It can also lead to idolatry. How do we overcome this deadly sin? Find out tomorrow as Ron continues his teaching series, Undefeated, Overcoming the Deadly Sins That Drag You Down. Need prayer today? Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to share your request with us. Click on Explore, then look for the How Can We Pray For You option. Is the Bible intimidating for you to read? Do you need someone to help guide you through God's Word? Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, but let's face it, it can also be a challenge to read because it contains more than 600,000 words, two testaments, and 66 different books. But how does it all fit together? How do we clearly understand God's continuous story from Genesis to Revelation? That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Volume one based on the 39 books of the Old Testament is now available, and I'd like to send you a copy. Here's Brian with details. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume One, Old Testament, is now available. For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, You'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 ebooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Well, Pastor Ron, I'm sure many of our listeners are looking forward to reading this important book, and I know I am. Talk about some of the challenges you faced as you put this project together, and tell us why this two-volume book can be such a great resource for those listening right now. Brian, I knew the ultimate road trip through the Bible would be a pretty big challenge to write as a two-volume set, as challenging to write as the Bible is intimidating for some people to read. But it was truly a labor of love, as is reading God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. I'm hopeful that these resources will show the readers just how beautifully the whole of the Bible fits together into an inspired and unified love letter from God to every member of His creation. 
Thanks, Pastor Ron. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org to order Volume 1 of this great resource for your gift of $30 or more. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Or if you'd like, you can mail your check to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. We live in a very self-indulgent culture and a culture that will applaud, applaud your self-indulgence. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, <laughs> deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Put some restraints in your life. In fact, um, self-indulgence cannot coexist with self-denial. Gluttony and the self-indulgence that comes with it is the enemy of discipleship. It's just that simple. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Defeating Gluttony. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.